Hi, I'm Bryn Rivaldi, and today I will be reading Genesis 22, 9 through 18. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yairah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord. Hey Grace 242, Pastor Bill here, filming from a special location. I'm filming from Kurt Lesage's backyard. So if you've never seen Kurt's handiwork and his passion, it's flourishing right behind me and we get to enjoy God's creation throughout today's message. We have a difficult story today to cover in our series Sunday School Summer. I remember learning about this story in Sunday School and it was pretty disturbing as a young boy to read about Abraham being commanded by God to sacrifice his young boy. I mean, I remember thinking that could have been me. I had a very difficult time with this story as a kid. And so what are we to make of this difficult story and these difficult events that seem to go against the nature of the God that we worship? Because this story is so difficult, it provides easy fodder for opponents of Christianity. Famous opponent of Christianity Richard Dawkins has this to say about this difficult story. God ordered Abraham to make a burnt offering of his longed-for son. Abraham built an altar, put firewood upon it, and trussed Isaac up on top of the wood. His murdering knife was already in his hand when an angel dramatically intervened with the news of a last-minute change of plan. God was only joking, after all, tempting Abraham and testing his faith. A modern moralist cannot help but wonder how a child could ever recover from such a psychological trauma. By the standards of modern morality, this disgraceful story is an example simultaneously of child abuse, bullying in two asymmetrical power relationships, and the first recorded use of the Nuremberg defense. I was only obeying orders. Yet, the legend is one of the great foundational myths of all three monotheistic religions. I mean, Dawkins kind of has a point. What are we to make of this story? It kind of seems like a god who elsewhere in the Bible abhors child sacrifice is commanding Abraham to perform child sacrifice. Not to mention how traumatic this must have been for Isaac. So Dawkins kind of has a point. What are we to make of these difficult events? Let's read Genesis 22, verses 1 to 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. 
Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, so Abraham obeys. He saddles up his donkey, grabs his servants, and they make the trek to Moriah, where Abraham builds an altar upon which he places his son Isaac. Now let's read 22 verses 10 to 12. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. At the very last moment, the angel stops Abraham from bringing the knife down upon Isaac. And God declares, Abraham, you pass the test. By your actions, you've declared yourself faithful, loyal in the utmost to me, God says. Now, for those of us who are familiar with this story, we might treat verses 13 and 14 as the end of this narrative. Let's read those. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now often we treat that as the end of this narrative, but the biblical authors don't. There's more to it yet. Let's continue reading. We'll read 15 through 19. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. Do you see how the story ends? It ends with God renewing his covenant with Abraham. It is a covenant renewal. In verse 17, God says Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. And then in verse 18, God says again, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Why? Because Abraham and the family that he fathers are the primary vehicle through whom God will reveal his name to the earth. It is Abraham and his family who are tasked with making God's name known. That is what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing. So you might be saying, okay, Bill, whatever. Why the big deal about the story ending with covenant? Well, because God has already covenanted with Abraham. Look back at Genesis 15, verse five. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I didn't discover that this story ends in covenant renewal until I opened up this passage to study this story this week. This is brand new to me. And I think it's fascinating that the near sacrifice of Isaac ends with promise renewal because God has already promised Abraham that he will be blessed to be a blessing. Now, you might be still wondering, okay, Bill, so what? It ends in promise renewal. What's the big deal? Well, it's a big deal because throughout the near sacrifice of Isaac's story, it looks like the promise could be in doubt. 
I mean, look at Genesis 15 again. Look at verse 2 and verse 4. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. Now look at 4. Then the Lord said to Abraham, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. In Genesis 15, God promises that Abraham will have a family and that that family will be blessed to be a blessing. And Abraham says, well, how's that going to happen, God? Because I'm childless and me and Sarah are too old to even have kids. And God says, you're going to have a son of your own. He will be your heir. And Sarah, by a miracle, has Isaac. But now we get to this near sacrifice of Isaac story. And now we have God instructing Abraham to sacrifice the very promised son through whom the promise is supposed to be realized. So do you see how from a human point of view, when we're reading the near sacrifice of Isaac story, we're going, wait a minute, how is the promise going to be kept? Because God is ordering Abraham to sacrifice the very son through whom the promise will be kept. What's going on here? Do you see the bind that Abraham is in? Do you see how, from a human point of view, it looks like the promise is in doubt? But from God's point of view, the promise was never in doubt. First of all, because God was the one who made the promise. He was the one who sovereignly appeared to Abraham and called him out of his pagan lifestyle in Babylon and showed him the land of Canaan. Secondly, God is the one who put himself on the hook for the promise in the first place. If you read the rest of Genesis 15, you read the covenant affirmation, the covenant ratification ceremony, where they split two animal halves, and Abraham is asleep during the covenant ratification ceremony. And God is the only one who passes through the halves of the animals. So it's God saying, I'm putting myself on the hook for this promise. And number three, God keeps his promises. Look at Joshua 21 verses 45. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. From God's point of view, the promise was never in doubt because God operates on a whole separate playing field. I take great comfort in Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine. Let's read from the ESV. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. What's impossible for us is possible for God, because with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, as Matthew 19.26 says. To humans, we might see the sacrifice of Isaac as placing the promise in doubt. But from God's higher vantage point, from God's sovereign point of view, to the one whose ways are higher than our ways, to the one who nothing is impossible for him, the promise was never in doubt. Look with me at a passage that's become one of my favorite parts of Scripture. Let's look at James chapter 1 and we'll read verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James tells us that when we face tests of faith, they're an opportunity to grow. 
And Abraham is certainly facing the largest test of faith in his entire life. Now, if we look later in James chapter 1, he tells us how we can grow when we face tests of faith. He gives us a strategy for facing tests of our faith well. Look what he says in James 1 verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The strategy that James gives to us for growing during tests of faith is to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Well, quick to listen to what? Well, look a few verses later. Look at 121 where James says, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. So be quick to listen to what? Quick to listen to God's word. Pastor Tony Evans says that James is giving us a strategy where we need to be slow to speak our own point of view and quick to listen to God's point of view. When we go to God's word, we receive his point of view on the matter. When we're in the midst of tests and trials, we need to be slow to speak our point of view and quick to listen to God's point of view. And we get that by going to his word. The problem is that most of us do the opposite. We are quick to speak our own point of view and we're slow to listen to God's point of view. And James is telling us, no, that's backwards. When you are in the midst of tests of faith, you need to be slow to speak your own point of view and quick to listen to God's point of view. That is how we succeed in the test of faith. That is how we grow in the test of faith. This message really means a lot to me this week because I feel like I've experienced it myself. For various reasons, the past six months have been pretty challenging for me personally. And up until this week, I sort of viewed them just as normal challenges that you just kind of had to endure, like be faithful in them, Bill, follow the Lord, and just kind of weather the storm. That was sort of my attitude from these past six months. And it was this week that the Lord really changed my point of view. He forced me to see things rather than from my own point of view. He forced me to see things from his point of view. And in looking at all of these passages and Abraham facing his test of faith and, and James telling us how to grow during tests of faith, I realized that these are more than just challenges to be endured. This is an opportunity for growth here for you, Bill Vervelti. I'm giving you these challenges as an opportunity to mold and fashion you into the person that I want you to be. I was talking with a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine earlier this week, and, and I was telling him about the past six months and how the Lord has been forcing me to see things from his point of view this week. And I told him, I feel like the Lord wants to promote me because he wants me to grow, but he wants me to see that this is an opportunity for growth. And this is just how the Lord works. He promotes through tests. He promotes through trials. And so I feel like in many ways, up until this point, I've been missing an opportunity to grow. I've just sort of been weathering the challenges, but God wants me to grow during these challenges. But the problem is, is I don't like it. <laughs> Who likes to grow from challenges? Who likes challenges? But the truth is, is even aside from God's economy, this is just how it normally works. We don't grow when it's easy sailing. We grow when the odds are against us. We grow when things are difficult. We grow when it seems like the circumstances are more than we can handle. That's when we grow. We grow when it seems like what's required of us is more than we have the capacity for or that we have the capacity to give. Those are the times that we grow. And the Lord has shown me this past week as he's forced me into his point of view that Bill Vervelde, this is an 
opportunity to grow. So are you going to accept these challenges and grow from them? Or are you just going to kind of endure them and weather them and miss this opportunity for growth? And again, I'll be the first to say, I don't like it. This is hard. This is not what I would want. But yet the Lord is giving me an opportunity. He's giving me an opportunity to grow. When our faith is tested, it's an opportunity to grow. And how do we grow? James tells us. We grow by being slow to speak our point of view and quick to listen to God's point of view. Abraham was in the biggest test of his life. He had been commanded by God to sacrifice his son, the only son that he had, the son through whom God promised to fulfill his promise to Abraham. And Abraham rose to the occasion. He rose to the test of faith. Long before James wrote it down in 119, Abraham did. James 119. Abraham was slow to speak his point of view and quick to listen to God's point of view. And how do we know this? How do we get inside Abraham's head? Well, because the author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham did this. Look at Hebrews 11 verses 17 to 19. And we're going to see how Abraham was slow to speak his point of view and quick to listen to God's point of view. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Abraham's point of view said, if I sacrifice Isaac, that's going to stop the promise. But Abraham was slow to consider that point of view. And he was quick to listen to God's point of view. Because God's point of view is his ways are higher than our ways. In fact, God is so powerful that he is Lord over the living and the dead. He has power over life itself because nothing is impossible with God. And so Abraham reasoned that, you know what? God's powerful enough to raise the dead. Even if I sacrifice Isaac, God has power over death so God can bring him back to life. Abraham was slow to consider his limited human point of view and he was quick to hear God's point of view. And he reasoned that God has all the power to bring Isaac back to life if he wants to. If you remember nothing else from today, remember this. When we face tests of faith, be slow to speak your own point of view and be quick to listen to God's point of view. And maybe I would just ask all of you that in this moment. Where in your life do you need to be slow to speak your own point of view? In what areas of your life has your point of view been the loudest thing? And where do you need to stop your point of view and start to listen to God's point of view? Are there areas in your life where you've been so loud speaking your own point of view that you've drowned out God's point of view that you can't even hear the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're not even going to his word like James tells us to do. So how are you supposed to hear God's point of view when you're going to his word? Maybe you're like me and you just need to recognize that the test of faith is an opportunity to grow. And that's the point of view that God wants you to consider. His point of view, not your own point of view. Where do you need to stop with your own point of view and start listening to God's point of view? Turn back to Genesis 22 and we're going to read verses 7 to 8. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. 
We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Isaac asks his dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham replied, God will provide a sheep. Well, many years later, God did provide a sacrificial lamb. And then in 22 verse 2, God instructs Abraham to travel to the land of Moriah. And many years later, the temple would be constructed in that very place. Look at 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1a. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And many years later, in that same place in the city of Jerusalem, the sacrificial lamb was provided. This sacrifice involved a father and a son, only this time it was the heavenly father who sacrificed his one and only begotten son, Jesus. Genesis 22.6 says that Abraham placed the wood for the burn offering on Isaac's shoulders. God's son Jesus took up the wood of the cross upon his shoulders to be our sacrificial lamb. Now look back at Genesis 22 and we'll read verse 13. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. God provided a substitute sacrifice for Abraham, and he provided a substitute sacrifice in his only begotten son, Jesus. God stopped the knife from coming down upon Isaac, but this time God did not stop death from coming down upon his son, Jesus. Romans 8.32 says, He did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Richard Dawkins questions how we can justify this story. Well, to answer Dawkins, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his only son upon the wood, God stopped the knife and provided a substitute. But when God's son Jesus was placed upon the wood, God did not stop death from coming down upon him. God sacrifices his own son in our place. He has sacrificed his own son Jesus as a substitute sacrificial lamb so that we can live. What are we to make of this story? How can we reckon with this story? In this story, we see a God who takes Isaac out of harm's way, but then places his own son in harm's way. In this story, we see God stopping the sacrifice of Isaac, but yet going through with the sacrifice of his own son so that we can live. This is the God we serve, the God who takes our place, the God who brings the sacrifice down onto his own son for our sake. That's the God we serve. I love you, Grace 242. I'll see you next week.